When I was trying to get funding for this film, it seemed like the funders were only looking for the victim story, like women who had been affected by working inside the nail salon. So to go to approach the nail salon as a point of pride and to pivot into this whole narrative about what it is to be a Vietnamese American wasn't intriguing to them at the time. You're listening to the podcast, Stories of the Vietnamese Boat People. Hi, I'm Tracy Nguyen Meng, and welcome back. We have a special episode today for you. So, have you ever wondered why there's so many Vietnamese people in the nail salon industry? When I was growing up, one of the first businesses my mom opened was a nail salon. Then my sister-in-law left a career in computer science to open up her own nail salon. And my brother, well, he went from a car mechanic to a nail technician. This was a lucrative cash business. Families were able to put their children through school and colleges because of the nail industry. And while I knew this, I didn't know how it got started. I don't think I ever stopped to ask, how did our Vietnamese community get into it? Well, one person did ask. That was director Adele Free Pham. Born in Portland, Oregon, Adele is mixed race, second generation Vietnamese American. Her father came to Oregon in 1975 as part of the first fleet of Vietnamese war refugees. Being half Vietnamese, Adele always felt slightly disconnected from her Vietnamese culture. When she got into film, she found it as a way to discover her roots. One of her first films was called Parallel Adele, a personal narrative about what it's like to be of mixed Asian and going back to Vietnam to document pieces of her Vietnamese history. That same curiosity led her to make the film Nailed it. Nail salons. They're everywhere. Every city, state, strip mall. Uptown, downtown. Even Walmart. The nail industry is a seven and a half billion dollar industry that focuses just on nails. And more than half of these salons are Vietnamese. If you're Vietnamese American, Within two degrees of separation, you have somebody working in the nail industry, if not one degree. Your auntie, your uncle, your relative, your cousin. <laughs> There's somebody you know. In this episode, I got to sit down with Adele in front of a live audience at the new school in New York City. So Adele, you mentioned in the film, so you're half Vietnamese. Your father's Vietnamese. He um, came over as part of the refugee war refugee. Um, met your mom. And tell us a little bit about your upbringing and what inspired you to make this film. Um, you know, I'm mixed, so I never felt fully Vietnamese and I don't speak the language. And I've thought a lot about this, like why... Um, the nail salon was so intriguing to me. So, of course, it is finding out why so many people, Vietnamese people, do nails. But 
also inserting myself in the culture in a certain kind of way. Um, you know, I left home when I was 18, and then I wound up in New York, and um, New York has less of a Vietnamese population uh, than, than Oregon, even. The largest number of immigrants in Oregon are Vietnamese. So I was losing even more touch with my Vietnamese side while realizing all the feelings of shame about being Vietnamese and a person of color were wrong, you know, kind of understanding that um, I came up in a world where you were supposed to separate from your immigrant, non-English speaking side and become Americanized. And that was an idea that was just instilled in me in the culture of Portland, Oregon, which is predominantly white. Um, so as I was kind of becoming more woke, I was becoming more separate from my Vietnamese heritage and this Filmmaking is a bridge for me. It's a way to express um, who I am and kind of represent myself in a way. And I've really been humbled by people's responses to this film because sometimes it doesn't hit them until they're watching it, that their stories are on screen, you know, that are, are being nationally broadcast on PBS. And um, I think people like you and people like me and a lot of second generation Vietnamese, although you're kind of 1.5, <laughs> are really trying to figure it out what it all means and what it's going to mean when our parents die. In, in the film, you had some moments where you um, focused on your dad and your conversations with your dad. So can you talk a little bit about him and was there a significance or did he have influence in the narration? Not really. My dad's kind of inscrutable, and his thoughts about Vietnam are very private in a way. So it's always been me digging for answers and trying to make a narrative for him that he didn't express to me growing up, other than some fond memories of growing up in Da Nang before the war. Um, and that's about it, you know? It's a really complicated, painful past. And like a lot of <laughs> Vietnamese kids, when I started digging, I was like, I don't know if I want to know this whole story. <laughs> and, you know, it's very real, very raw. And I think I will always be working on that documentary about my father. Um, it hasn't finished yet. So uh, this, this film is in conversation with that. It's in context with that. Like the very first documentary project I tried to make was following my father going back to Vietnam for the first time. And that's when so much more of my family history from the war was revealed to me. And I still haven't figured out how to contextualize it, how to make it into a film. And when something's really personal and raw and affects your family, it's it's hard to put that much of yourself out there. You know, um, I'm very proud of the journey, but it's not as clear cut as... Um, I portrayed it in the film, perhaps. Well, I don't know if it was a way to connect with him, but make, making film is a way to connect my story to my father's, and I'm always trying to do that in some way or another. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like it's an ongoing journey for you. My family is an ongoing journey <laughs> for me, for sure. Um, I love the scene where you, uh, Calvin, and his friends at um, at the house, and they're cooking for you, and you're having beers, and it reminded me very much of the men, the Vietnamese men in my life. Today, Kelvin helps at his sister Nadine's salon. She runs with her husband, Bob. Right. You have to carry that cross. Don't forget to carry your cross, too, bro. What are you doing to But he also runs his own. And travels the world as a sales rep and nail educator. Who 
so many Vietnamese guys do nails. What a job, huh? Sitting around all day holding women's hand and then after you finish, you get paid. Did making this film and being very much around them and kind of following the journey with them, how did that connect you to the Vietnamese side? It gave me a more pleasant experience about being Vietnamese, I think. And, um, you know, I've watched the film a million times now, and I see that I gravitate towards Vietnamese men. And I analyze that, you know, what is that all about? And, I mean, those are the experiences that I had of being Vietnamese growing up with my father, going to the tributes, going to the, the reunion, the war reunions and whatnot, um, and sitting around while he was drinking with his friends. <laughs> so... In a way, Kelvin is, he's not my father because he's not old enough to be, but he's an older Vietnamese man that I was attracted to and latched on to right away. So mm-hmm. there's something similar um, about him and Bob to my father. And Vietnamese people are funny as hell, and he's funny <laughs> as hell. And I think that was something that I also needed to experience, you know, that even though he's more generation 1.5 than me, you know, he was also a refugee. I spent some time in Kelvin Salon getting to know him. Not only do we share the same last name, what? He takes karaoke seriously, just like me, okay? Yeah. Already the nail business was way different than I imagined. So Kelvin, he's a co-producer on the film, but he's been in the nail industry for so many years and people gravitate towards him, trust him and think he's funny. So he, he gave me the access that I needed to push the film in the direction, the personal direction that I wanted because, you know, people don't recognize me as Vietnamese. Even after I tell them, they're like, what do you speak? Like, no, like, you're not Vietnamese. (laughs) We share a very similar humor and silliness, you know, and that's not something that I necessarily got growing up. Although I went to school with a bunch of Vietnamese kids and we all hung out and sang karaoke in the basement. (laughs) So that's been a through line, karaoke. Yeah, Yeah. it's in our blood. It Um, is. So tell me how you discovered that Tippi Hendren was kind of behind the, the making of Vietnamese in the nail industry. When I first come here, I don't even know I can make, a, I can make money on nail business. But uh, one movie star, her name is Tippi Hedren. I think everybody know her by now. Yes, that Tippi Hedren. From a little Hitchcock movie called The Birds. Um, it was through NPR. So that NPR, All Things Considered Peace, um, was something that I had listened to no, I take that back. It was Kim Pham who told me the the Tippy Hedren connection. So my very first research interview with her is when I first heard about it, and I was blown away, you know. And then I did a little bit of research and saw, oh, there's actually been a lot of media about her relationship to the first twenty Vietnamese women. A great humanitarian who really wanted to help the Vietnamese find a place in the United States. After Saigon fell, she was working with Vietnamese women in a Northern California refugee camp. They call Hope Village. A group of women doesn't know what to do with themselves like me. So one day we look at her finger there, we said, your nail looks so beautiful. So she said, I have a job for, for you, Monday Green Class. But still in the media, it's kind of odd. It's either like, you know, a fairy tale story like Tippi Hedren or the dark side of the nail salon, Mm -hmm. right? And I was going for something um, 
more realistic and true to life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it didn't just happen because of Tippy's intervention, but I do often think, well, if these first 20 hadn't been formally trained in manicuring and, um, you know, she helped place them in different salons, I do wonder if we still would have gotten into this thing or not. And my research says no. And that's what's so interesting about niche trades within an immigrant refugee community. It's like everybody's looking for a job. So especially with Vietnamese people, like they look and copy and they saw that these women who were well-established in Vietnam, well-respected, were supporting their families off of manicuring. And I really do that. Do believe that it took off from there. Yeah, it's such a pleasant surprise in the story, too, to know someone that famous was part of this whole humanitarian act. I do want to ask, because you and I chatted last week and you talked about a, a little bit about how hard it was to find funders and supporters for this film and that you sort of had to fight through the stereotypes among Asian nail salons. Yeah, I mean, still when I watched the film, the health section seems a little forced, but I thought it was necessary to include that information. But when I was trying to get funding for this film, it seemed like the funders were only looking for the victim story, like women who had been affected by working inside the nail salon. So to go to approach the nail salon as a point of pride and to pivot into this whole narrative about what it is to be Vietnamese American wasn't intriguing to them at the time. They wanted, you know, the lowdown story of what's really going on inside those nail salons. So it's interesting, like, you can explain all day long how your film is different, but if somebody kind of has the vision for how the nail salon narrative should be told, it, it's hard to argue for a, a film of empowerment, which I find this film to be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, how have you found the receptiveness since it's been streaming? I love getting messages from people from all over the country, Vietnamese, who have family in the nail salon industry, and some really touching emails about the idea of representation that I was talking about earlier. There's something really powerful about seeing your history represented in film, and um, so a a lot of beautiful responses. There is still class consciousness um, within the Vietnamese community that... You know, we still, a lot of people still don't want to be defined by the Vietnamese nail salon. I do wish that they would take time to watch the film because I think that they'll come away um, really having a lot of pride in our resilience, resiliency and our grit to be able to open these nail salons across the country, like starting from California and then look how many Vietnamese nail salons are all over the U.S., but also all over the world, France, Germany, England, back to Vietnam, Czechoslovakia. (laughs) I mean, yeah, that's just in the U.S. That's not global. So it's really um, touching the Vietnamese character in a way I haven't seen in film because usually our stories are told within the context of the war, Mm -hmm. which, of course, we have to talk about. That's how we became American. Um, but it's not everything about our culture and what Vietnamese America is going to represent in the next generation. Like for our kids, I don't know. I don't. I don't think that they're going to have the same relationship with uh, being Vietnamese that uh, I have, and you even more so. You know, because being born there 
and coming as a refugee, just it does shape your experience in this country. I listened to your NPR uh, interview last week. If you guys haven't heard it, you can find it online. Adele was amazing. Um, but you did make one statement that I wanted to ask you about. Um, you said Asian women and black women are never shown in intimate spaces. Meet Olivet Robinson and Charlie Bo. In 1983, they grew the first nail salon chain in the hood, South LA to be exact. How did you decide it to open a salon in that neighborhood? That first one? Yes. Because that's where we live. Cheap. That's where our customers were. At the corner, it's cheap. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was. We had got the place, but mm-hmm. we didn't have a name, remember? Right, right. You know, we got to make something them pretty. Sexy. Yeah, something sexy. Yeah, we gotta, we're got we making these women pretty, uh-huh. getting them together so they can go out and trap a man. <laughs> and we just kept on talking and talking, and pretty soon, I don't know which one of us said, <gasps> man trap. <laughs> Man Trap was kind of a, a piece in the film that I really loved. So can you talk a little bit about that statement and the significance of Man Trap in this film? Sure. I mean, mostly uh, the relationships you see between Vietnamese nail salons and their black customers is acrimonious in the media. But my bigger question was, well, how did those nail salons get there to begin with? And Man trap came to me because I asked the right question. And Mike Bo was like, oh, you know, my mother's first business partner is African-American woman. And Olivet is a dear friend of mine now. You know, she's really my favorite person from the film. Don't tell Kelvin. Oh, wait, we're on the podcast. Shoot. Um, and there's also something sad that about that relationship never being replicated. It's like the Vietnamese family just took the concept and it did spread like fire. But what did we lose? Because um, there was very little fighting within the man trap salons because there was a mutual respect set up from the ownership, right? So if there was an issue with uh, the clients who are black, all of it is going to be able to put that one out fairly quickly. You know, there's no language barrier there. And even if she's not there, you know that this is a black establishment, half owned by a black person. And so I really want Vietnamese people to recognize that part of this nail game a whole big part of this nail came comes from black culture. So mm-hmm. some of our success is because we were accepted into those, these neighborhoods. This was a product that they wanted and that they paid for and that they're still paying for. So in the future, I would like to see more multicultural relation, ownership scenarios happening inside the salon. Yeah, I think that's what I love the most about it. It is just that entwine of the two different cultures coming together. In women. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and they learn to trust each other. I know all the words. Yeah. They learn to trust each other through the trials that they went. Now that the film's made, and it was lots of years of love and hardship involved, um, can you tell us uh, one thing that you felt you've really accomplished that you didn't expect to accomplish when you were making this film? Yeah, I mean, just getting it done to the specification and the quality that I wanted to be. At a certain point, I just thought, man, I'm never going to get this money together. You know, I don't have that uncle who's just going to front me the cash that it's going to take to get it through post-production even. So um, I'm just proud of that. 
you know, having it broadcast on PBS and just being able to reach a global audience through this film. I just did an interview with ABC Australia radio last night. And, you know, Australia has a booming Vietnamese nail salon industry. It's huge, right? So this is really a global story. Um, You know, I shot a ton of footage that didn't make it into this cut. But moving forward, I would like to make a film about the Vietnamese diaspora, global diaspora through their nail salons. Like I said, it's just a powerful thing to, to see your story represented because we don't share our stories. There's so much trauma involved that we don't download our stories to other people. And it's really our generation that's kind of putting together the pieces and trying to figure out the deeper meaning. I don't know if you can get deeper than being a refugee but trying to figure out what it all means, you know. Hate Crimes, uh, that's my next film. It's about hate crimes in Oregon, where I'm from. Um, Another personal story entwines with that larger story about uh, hate crimes and the history of exclusion laws that Oregon statehood was based on. Um, It was created to be a white homeland state. And, you know, how does that translate in the 21st century when... You know, we're seeing white supremacy on the rise in an undeniable kind of way. Um, And yeah, still working out the details of that, but there's a particular story, the murder of a teenager named Larnell Bruce Jr. by a white supremacist in 2016 when Trump's campaign was really starting to take off. And I went back to Oregon to cover that story or the aftermath of that story. And then I just finished filming the murder trial, um, which was both satisfying and raised more questions about what hate crime laws actually are and if they work in a place like Oregon. You know, these documentaries take time, but also finding your stride takes time and balancing all of these um, really atrocious hate crimes, but then also breaking the heaviness with some of that Portlandia levity. I mean, it really is weird there. So I was just trying to strike the right balance and get my team together so it's not so much of a solitary journey, like applying for all these grants and getting pissed off because people don't understand your vision. (laughs) Thank you so much, Adele, for spending the night with us this evening. If you haven't yet seen the film, you can still watch it online streaming at PBS America Reframed. Go to www.worldchannel.org. The film is witty, it's touching, and it uncovers some pretty surprising things, as you heard earlier, about how African-American culture, Vietnamese culture, and the pursuit of the American dream all came together. To connect with Adele or follow her work, visit our Instagram or Facebook page at Vietnamese Boat People Podcast and look for details under episode 11. And a quick shout out and special thanks to our associate producers on this episode, Trisha Vung and Matt Young.
Put your faith in me, the next generation of the true Vietnamese. We had to hustle like we sell water to wells. Ripples form lines, turn into a story to tell. We had to leave hell, but put your faith in me, the next generation of the true Vietnamese. We had to hustle. We had to hustle. I'm Tracy Nguyen Mang, and thank you for listening and helping us preserve history. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like these stories, please rate us and share your feedback. And if you have a story to share, contact us at stories at vietnameseboatpeople.org.